<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblumaniac, Mike DeCrecia. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. Uh, I can't believe 15, man. We're burning through these. I know. I, I'm really loving the uh, the increased pace uh, that we were kind of yeah. forced. Up, it was kind of forced upon us. You know, generally, we used to do the Nicolas Cage podcast once every other week because we would do our other podcasts on alternate weeks. Uh, and then when the pandemic happened, we had a lot less to do in our lives. So we were like, well, you know, we don't have the uh, the movies for our other podcast to watch. We'll just crank out short bonus episodes of that one. And we'll start doing Go Bloom every single week. And uh, I think we should just keep this. Like, even when our lives start getting more and more hectic and busier, like, if we can keep it up, like, I, I really, I don't think I can go back to the old pace anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if I could do uh, Mike and Mike every week. Just, like, having the time to go to the theater every week is, is, right. the, is the tough part. But I think we could yes. do Go Bloom weekly, at least. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. I think Go Bloom every week. And maybe even just doing, like, a, a short bonus of Mike and Mike every week or yeah. whatever. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? That's in the future. We're, we're workshopping our own podcast on the air during our podcast. It's because we very are bold of us. bold of us to assume there will still be theaters to go to and movies to see uh in the future for, for mike and mike so. that's true we were we were just discussing off the air about how amc is uh possibly filing for bankruptcy pretty soon so uh hopefully that doesn't come to pass we'll see how that happens but uh in any case jeff goldblum movies from the 80s will still exist mike that's right as far as we know <laughs> we'll, we'll always have goldblum. Uh, exactly so uh back in the late 70s and early 80s we're talking about a, a kind of genre of movies popular in canada canada was a haven for low-budget genre movies of all kinds. If you uh, dig into a lot of the exploitation horror or science fiction from that era, chances are you're going to find a lot of movies that came from our Canadian brothers, or at the very least uh, were American productions that filmed in Canada with a Canadian film crew to save money. Uh, it's an era that produced uh, a few timeless classics, like it's where director David Cronenberg got his start, uh, and a lot of low-budget schlock. Uh, today we're talking about one of the classier films, I think, to come out of that era. Uh, you know, this is not a, a Hello, Mary Lou prom night two situation, even though that movie is way better. Uh, it's no, it's no uh, final sacrifice, you know? Yes, exactly. That kind of like Canadian uh, horror movie. This isn't really that. This is one of those, like a little bit more of a classier drama. Uh, it's got a couple of well-known actors in the lead roles. It's about heavier subject matter than most of those films. And it was nominated for 10 genie awards in 1983. Uh, the genie awards were the Canadian equivalent of the Oscars uh, until wow. it merged with the Gemini Awards to become the Canadian Screen Awards. That happened in 2012. Uh, so you could call them Canadian Screen Awards or as they're actually typically known, I'm not making this up, the Gemini's or the Gemini's. <laughs> I don't that can't be <laughs> because right. they because they combine the genie awards and the Gemini awards. So they call it the Ge the Geminini's that's on Wikipedia. So it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> that's an Italian sandwich. That can't be right. <laughs> 
Uh, no, Mike, it's not an Italian sandwich. It's the Canadian Screen Award. Uh, oh. <laughs> so today we're talking about a movie that, again, was nominated for 10 of these awards. Uh, Richard Pierce's 1981 light science fiction film Threshold. All right. Now, I say 1981 because that's what I was led to believe when we <laughs> when we when we got launched into this podcast. Uh, the movie did screen at a festival in Canada in 1981, but it didn't have a U.S. release until 1983, which means we're going slightly out of order by reviewing this movie now. That's my bad. I should have double checked that, I guess. Uh, but, you know, when you look at Wikipedia and it says 1981 and you look at IMDb and it says 1981, <laughs> You don't go digging too much deeper into that, right? No, I think that's that's enough research to assume uh, exactly. that it came out in 1981. I mean, it did technically in Canada, but in the U.S. it was 83, although it was very early 83. So we're really only skipping ahead of one movie for this podcast. So okay. it's fine. Just imagine this is episode 16 and it's taking place after Rehearsal for Murder. Uh, <laughs> I also called Threshold a light science fiction movie. And when you watch it today, you might not think that's the case. Uh, Threshold is about a doctor using an experimental technique when performing open heart surgery. The use of a fully artificial heart. Now, that technology did not exist at the time of the movie's release. Uh, wow. In the 60s, yeah, exactly. In the 60s, they developed artificial hearts that they would use as kind of a bridge to keep a patient's blood pumping while they waited for a donor heart. Uh, like, they would kind of, like, have a donor heart on the way, use the artificial heart for, like, six hours, and then the donor heart would come in, they would take it out and put the, you know, just to keep them alive. Um, right. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't develop the tech for a permanently placed artificial heart until 1982, or just one year after <laughs> this wow. movie was first released. Uh, and if you look at pictures of artificial hearts, I don't know if we did any uh, medical research leading into this podcast, Mike. Uh, they look remarkably similar to the ones that are actually used in the movie, uh, which takes a pretty clinical view towards the proceedings. Uh, this is, I think, a process movie, which takes you through the steps of how the heart was created and then the actual surgery itself. Uh, did you know that much about artificial hearts uh, going into this movie, Mike? Not at all. I had, When you said before in the intro, like light science fiction movie, I was like, what? What? the fuck are you talking about <laughs> um that's pretty wild that's insane yeah exactly so uh jeff goldblum of course is in the movie that's why we're talking about it uh he plays the mastermind behind the artificial heart dr aldo Gehring, and he's reunited with his invasion of the body snatchers co-star donald sutherland in the lead role as dr thomas vrain the surgeon tasked with inserting the heart into the body of a young girl uh that girl carol severance is played by mayor winningham uh known for movies like saint elmo's fire and miracle mile uh and in more recent years appeared in several seasons of american horror story uh also showing up throughout the movie are sharon acker of the new perry mason uh as in the 70s tv show called the new perry mason and not the new perry mason tv show on hbo that's coming oh. out in a couple weeks <laughs> that's easy to follow yeah exactly uh she plays taylor of rain uh, sutherland's wife uh sutherland has a few notable colleagues in the movie uh john marley plays edgar fine and you'll likely know him as the guy from the godfather who wakes up to find a horse head in his bed uh, <laughs> so there's that he's in the movie uh alan nichols plays dr basil rents who was also in nashville so there's a goldblum reunion there uh and another goldblum reunion comes in the form of michael lerner who appeared as charles bronson's lawyer in saint ives uh he plays henry de vici another patient that uh, sutherland is treating so threshold was written by james salter an author notable for writing a novel called the hunters uh which was based on his experience in the u.s air force it was directed by richard pierce who mostly works in tv but 
also directed 1992's Leap of Faith, starring Steve Martin, um, which uh, I have not seen. Have you seen that movie, Mike? No, I have not. Okay, fair enough. It seems like one of those things. It's like a, it's it's like a well-known enough kind of cult comedy where I felt like one of us would probably have seen it, and it wasn't me. But I guess it wasn't you either. So there you go. But I've heard Leap of Faith is pretty good, at least. Uh, he was also the DP for a Da Panabaker in his early career, and worked on documentaries like Don't Look Now, the Bob Dylan movie, and Woodstock, the documentary about. You know, Woodstock. Uh, <laughs> and uh, like I mentioned before, this movie was nominated for 10 Genie Awards, including Best Motion Picture. And it won two of them, uh, Best Cinematography and Best Actor for Donald Sutherland. Uh, Jeff Goldblum is also nominated for Best Foreign Actor for his work in the movie, uh, which is weird to say, but it was Canada and he's an American. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, he's a foreign actor uh, alongside other nominees like Ron Perlman and Bruce Dern, uh, though he ultimately lost the award to Richard Farnsworth for the Gray Fox, which was a Western about Canada's first train robbery uh, that also won Best Picture at the Genies that year. Uh, wow. So there's that, too. Yeah, uh, the the fourth annual Genie Awards were pretty much swept by the Gray Fox, but Threshold uh, worked its way in there for a couple of categories, too. Uh, so Threshold had its premiere in Canada in September 1981, but it didn't get released in the U.S., until January 21st, 1983 in New York City. And if you weren't seeing it that day, maybe you were seeing the classic slasher film, The House on Sorority Row. Uh, or you could have been seeing the Indiana Jones knockoff Treasure of the Four Crowns, which was also part of the uh, short lived 3D craze that was happening around this time, too. Uh, I've not seen that movie, but it's one that I've wanted to see for a while because it looks just wild. It looks like a really fun <laughs> time. It, it it basically does the exact same thing as the rolling boulder from Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the boulder's on fire. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, so, like, I'm all in. That sounds great. Uh, That's yeah, all Treasure it takes. Four Crowns. Yeah, got to watch that at some point. Uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for Threshold reads, The celebrated heart surgeon, Dr. Vrain, supports the research of the offbeat scientist Aldo Gehring, who is inventing an artificial heart. Uh, Dr. Vrain performs the first artificial human heart transplant against the advice of the Ethics Committee. So, Mike... Going in Threshold, what were your expectations and what were your overall thoughts on the movie? Um, going in, I mean, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, what, like, you know, what the plot synopsis was or anything like that. And uh, the poster definitely sort of has this kind of science fiction thing about it. I don't know what exactly it is, uh, but I was kind of thinking it was like some kind of like actual science fiction <laughs> movie or well, actual right. air quotes. Uh, something that was more deeply in that genre. So when it started and it's basically just like a medical <laughs> drama, I was like, huh, yep. interesting. Um, but I mean, it's, it's fine. Like it's not, it's not particularly bad. Uh, it's not particularly great. And it, and I think it might just be that like procedural thing about it. That just kind of feels like, yep, we're inventing an artificial heart <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I feel like maybe it kind of, it kind of, um, climaxes in that like open heart surgery where they actually have to put the artificial heart in this patient after so everything has failed they can't i forget exactly what it is like they can't restart the patient's heart on the table and they're like fuck it we're right. putting the artificial heart in and like <laughs> that i feel like that that surgery was actually like very tense for me uh so like the last like 20 minutes are pretty intense but uh the first hour and 10 or so not that not that engaging per se uh but that's just like on a plot level but like uh, everyone's performances i mean it's donald sutherland like he's kind of never sure. bad i don't think right um yeah yeah he's good oh there's also we i was wondering if you were going to mention uh this this uh goldblum reunion you might not have caught it oh but towards oh, the really? end of the movie towards the end of the movie goldblum is uh on a radio show 
uh, and he's being kind of interviewed by the guy. And that radio yeah. host is Michael C. Gwynn, who is the drug dealing bartender from Special Delivery. Oh, shit. <laughs> Boom. I out-researched the researcher. <laughs> I can't believe I missed that. I'm so glad you caught that. That's great. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm completely thrown off by this, uh, by this development. <laughs> I'm signing off. You're now, welcome. Like, you can take care of the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Look at me. I am the host now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I did not realize that. Um, but yeah, I, I think I may have misrepresented the movie um, talking about it in previous episodes or like maybe talking about it to you like ahead of time, because I was always like, oh, yeah, it's a low budget Canadian sci fi movie. And that's like how <laughs> I always described it, uh, because that's all I knew about. Like, I like I, I very rarely like look into like what the movies are about when we're going into them, because I kind of I just kind of like glance at the Wikipedia pages. I kind of check the release right. dates, which this movie I messed up on. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I kind of look at like the brief description up top and it'll always say like, oh, well, this is a crime movie or this is a drama. Right. Or whatever. And in the you know first couple of words on Wikipedia, it says like a low budget Canadian sci fi film. And I was like, well, there you go. It must be some <laughs> kind of crazy, goopy nonsense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And this movie is very much not that it is, you know, again, like we said, kind of science fiction, but more of a hard sci fi where it's talking about technology that actually, you know, was on the verge of existing. So they're actually talking about real research that was done uh, in terms of developing the artificial heart uh, that just hadn't been like fully implemented yet. Uh, right. So they're kind of examining that. And it's really interesting to watch it from the perspective, knowing that the artificial heart was invented like a year later. Uh, and when you look at, you know, the some of the stuff with the artificial heart, um, that first case of them using it in 82, that patient survived for another year or so and then ended up the artificial heart ended up failing and that patient died. And so there was still like a lot of like different um, things they had to do to like make it work after that. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in this movie, I mean, they make the artificial heart and I guess you don't really see what happens to the patient after like the first week or so of her having the heart. Uh, right. But it seems like she's going to be fine, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I do think the idea behind the movie is pretty interesting. I think in practice, I think the movie is kind of dull. Like, and I, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, it's actually it's pretty intense towards that last like half hour or so. Like, the actual surgery is really cool because it is just yeah. like it kind of pulls no punches. And like it's a, it takes a very clinical matter of fact approach to the subject matter as a whole. Uh, and so leading up to it, like it never sensationalizes it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like it never feels like it's trying to be a typical Hollywood medical drama. It feels like it's just trying to be like, okay, these are doctors and this is what doctors do. And it, sh and it shows you what doctors do. And then the movie's over. Um, basically, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of starts with like this weird, you know, like a parallel to Dr. Strange, uh, you know, the, the Marvel movie where like he's performing <laughs> the surgery and like, he's got the music going in the operating room and like, all this right. stuff you know he's kind of like the hot the hot rock star doctor guy uh donald <laughs> sutherland's character right um, speaking of how great would doctor would donald sutherland have been as dr strange like if they oh, made that man, movie back in the 80s or something yeah absolutely <laughs> holy shit <laughs> yeah and uh, so now i was just picturing donald sutherland and like lou ferrigno and like, right <laughs> just like the in avengers the, the 80s avengers <laughs> yeah elliot gould as captain america <laughs> Obviously, the, the Chris Evans <laughs> of his day. 
Um, so anyway, now that my mind is completely blown by that thought. Um, yep. Yeah. So in the beginning, like that first surgery, like it has the music going and he's kind of like, you know, this hotshot doctor guy. But, but in that whole last uh, surgery, like the last half hour or whatever it is, like there's no score. There's no music at all. It's just the like sounds of inside that operating room, like the machinery and all that stuff that's going on. Uh, so yeah, it's really, really intense. And like, you know, Donald Sutherland just like buttering to himself and like getting mad when he met, when something messes up and like all this stuff. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I was engaged in that last half, last half hour, but like the lead up to it was kind of like, mm, okay, I guess, you know? Yeah, it's, it's fine. Like I wasn't like actively bored, but I was kind of yeah. bored, you know? <laughs> It was like it walked a very fine line of boredom for me, but uh, it was definitely still a spectrum of boredom that I was on. Uh, (laughs) And I do feel like the movie kind of kept introducing interesting ideas and then not really following up much on them. There's a couple of things where it's like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. I'd like to see where this goes. And then that plot gets dropped. Like, you know, uh, I have like one specific thing in mind that I'll get to later on um, in the episode. But uh, like, it just feels like they bring something up and then like a 10 minutes later, it's like not relevant anymore, basically, <laughs> basically. Uh, but Jeff Goldblum plays the guy who invents the artificial heart or he like de- starts developing it and comes to Donald Sutherland with the idea to do it. So what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in this movie, Mike? Uh, I mean, he's great as, as he can be in a movie like this. I think I'm actually no, I think he's very good. I think him and Donald Sutherland have this weird opposite chemistry kind of thing going on like yeah. uh, Donald Sutherland is so poised and charming and uh, understated and much throughout this whole movie but in like a lot of his performances in general and Goldblum is so erratic all the time uh, that like seeing them share a scene is so much fun uh, especially when they're like yes. arguing over like what kind of pulse we should give this artificial heart or whatever the hell uh, that discussion is about. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's fun to see him, him and Sutherland uh, re- reunite in this way. And I think he was, I think Goldblum is really good. Yeah, I agree. I think he's actually, I think he's the best person in the, like the MVP of the movie, I think is Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Cause literally like, you know, it's movie's been on for about 20 minutes at this point. Right. And you've, Got gotten introduced to Donald Sutherland. You kind of get to know his colleagues a little bit. You know about his profession and what he does. And then when you finally meet Goldblum, like his voice comes in off screen and then he shows up. And it's like the movie just has like a jolt of energy to it suddenly when Goldblum, when Goldblum arrives. Yeah. Like he he has this like nervous energy that he brings into most things. But like since this, I think, is a fairly stiff movie, in turn, Jeff Goldblum like livens things up a little bit and he becomes the most memorable character for me. Yeah, the way that he uh, is able to to shake up the artificial heart research he shakes up this movie <laughs> true <laughs> i tried i tried i didn't know where i was going <laughs> and that's what we call a segue right there <laughs> so how do you think this role fits into the roles that we've seen jeff goldblum play in other movies so far mike <sighs> okay so i was thinking about this question and i wasn't I'd ne- i didn't quite remember that you put the qualifier so far because i was going to future predict <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> a role that how, this feels like doc this is exactly dr malcolm from jurassic park <laughs> um, okay <laughs> even like down to like the philosophical arguments about us man playing god um right and all this stuff it's like a direct line like direct lift <laughs> from threshold uh so there's that um but yes. i mean th- uh, this is the first time we've seen goldblum play a scientist i think which you know he would go on to do in Jurassic park and movies like the fly and kind of independence day right i mean yeah. that's like 
he's because I feel like in those big blockbuster movies that he's in, he's always like the smart, nerdy guy or whatever. Right. And yeah. And so but in those two movies, he's a scientist and Independence Day he's like a computer programmer or something. But he's like basically a scientist. He has he might as well be fucking mothership of the alien <laughs> of the aliens <laughs> right. with an iMac or whatever. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about Independence Day when we get to it. It's going to be a great. Uh, great it's going to be good. Um, but yeah, but this is like the first time we've seen him play like a scientist character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the obvious other connection is uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, with Donald sure. Sutherland as the co-star. But I feel like it's a pretty, uh, you know, kind of like sidekick relationship thing going on. They have in that movie. Also, this movie has. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's kind of a similar relationship they have. Uh, and obviously there's a reunion for them, although Sutherland did cut his hair this time around, shaved his mustache. Yes. Uh, he really doesn't feel like the hippie like like Sutherland in the 70s feels like kind of a relic of the hippie era. Right. Where yeah. he's just like it feels like kind of out of place in the business world. And here he looks he's a square now, man. It's the 80s. <laughs> right. He shaved his <laughs> shaved his mustache. Yeah, his, uh, his hair is, is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Like I like when I saw him, I was like, oh, man i really wish he had like the big curly hair again <laughs> yeah it just it's a good look but uh yes yeah, so i i think as far as goldblum though i think between this and the legend of sleepy hollow i think they're both really good showcases for just how goldblum has the ability to enter a pretty dull or flat movie and just inject his own presence into it and make something more interesting like because legend of sleepy hollow kind of similar i mean in terms of like the stuff happening in it not really but just like in terms of <laughs> aesthetic in terms of just like, all right, this is an hour and a half. And it's kind of like, you know, flatly, you know, it looks low budget. It kind of and this movie obviously had a little bit more of a budget. It had a couple of bigger stars in it uh, than Sleepy Hollow did. But it, right. it, it has a kind of a similar aesthetic, I think, because that's a Canadian low budget movie. And this was like and that was like a TV movie uh, sort of in the same ballpark. And I think, you know, Goldblum showing up in both of them, like kind of elevates both of them, even though neither one is something that I'm going to remember all that much, you know, in the in the weeks or months after this. Yeah. Uh, and just like uh, to absolutely prove our point from the Legend of Sleepy Hollow episode, I 100 percent forgot that was a thing and didn't even think about it uh, in terms of uh, something that he might be. That is the episode do. we recorded last week. <laughs> yep. It's gone. Completely left my brain. Um, so, yeah, I think that is a, a apt comparison, Mike, that it's it's this kind of, you know, drab, uh, maybe not drab, but this kind of like on the boring spectrum, as you put it, thing that I experienced that we're going through. And anytime Goldblum's on screen, we get this a little bit. It's a little more lively. It's a little more engaging uh, just by yeah. the nature of his performance. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, for the first like several like, you know, 12, 13 movies we talked about, there wasn't really any movies that I like outright disliked or thought were boring. Like I, I generally enjoyed pretty much everything we watched. Uh, and there was a lot of like pretty high profile movies that Goldblum just happened to be in like minor roles or supporting roles in leading up to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? There was Annie Hall and there was Nashville and there was, you know, all these different big movies. And even the smaller movies that he was in were generally pretty fun. Uh, right. And now Goldblum is trying to be the lead right now. He's trying to be a leading actor uh, and suddenly things have like shifted a little bit. Now he's like not he's not popping up in like defining performances and in, in small roles in big movies. Now he has to be anchoring a movie, but the movies around him aren't as strong as they were um, when he was kind of just popping up as, as the supporting guy. Yeah, I think I think that that transition from being, uh, you know, the unknown guy in a crew with well-known people like he he can like, you know, not ride the coattails like that has negative connotations but you know what i'm saying right but now he's kind of this like untested guy that's being asked to be the lead so they're he's getting untested people around him again uh so <laughs> here, here we are i guess with uh although you know i don't want to say untested with donald sutherland but um, sure but he's kind of the only 
big guy in this movie. You know? Yeah, the only other major, like, well-known actor. I mean, Mayor Winningham is somebody who's been in a lot of movies. Uh, although right. I think at this point, she wasn't really uh, that well-known. Uh, I, I think this might have been, I feel like there might have been, like, an and introducing Mayor Winningham credit or whatever in the, in Ooh, the maybe. opening credits. Possibly. I, I, I'm, I might be making that up. Or I might have just seen <laughs> a different movie that also had an and introducing credit. Actually, you know what? I did because I just watched um, Bruce and McCloud the other day, which was a Robert Altman movie, uh, which was also Shelley Duvall's first movie. And it and has like an mm. and introducing Shelley Duvall and that kind of thing. So yeah. I might be mixing the two up. Sorry, everybody. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but in Mayor Winningham, I mean, would go on to be in like St. Elmo's Fire and things like that. Uh, but when this movie came out, I don't think she was all that well known. So, yeah, at this point, it's really just Goldblum and Sutherland, who are like the big name actors, I guess. Uh, yeah, in the movie. It, and even Goldblum, as far as big name actors go, he's like becoming a big name actor, I guess. Right. He's he's trying to make that leap, you know, from being leading man in uh, Ten Speed and Brown Shoe to being leading man in a Canadian Tax Haven movie. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I was pretty shocked when when Mayor Winningham uh, showed up. Not that I recognized her name, but when her character showed up, I was like, wait a second. And I had to like pause and look it up and that she was uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character's wife. Uh, on The Outsider, which I just watched. Uh, okay, pretty gotcha. recently that HBO show. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. fun. It's a little, you know, Michael C. Gwynn I caught there. Mayor Winningham. Look at that. This movie's <laughs> packed, star-studded. <laughs> it's packed with the Decretio All Stars. Uh, That's right, popping in and out. But all right. So, what are the moments or scenes in Threshold that stood out to you, Mike? By the way, the movie is called Threshold. Is there a re- like? Is, do they? Is they? Is there like some kind of medical term in the movie? They say that it's like called Threshold, or is it just called Threshold for no reason? <laughs> I think it's just called threshold because, like you know, we're we're on the cusp. This is cutting edge technology, you know. Especially that the first okay. uh, first heart, artificial heart was used uh, a year later. Like, and especially, it seems like okay, people might have been aware that like they're on the threshold of this being real s- technology. Uh, I feel like I, I feel no like that's idea. a big leap you have to make in order to make that connection. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like that connection only works in 2020. Looking back to 1981, um, <laughs> so especially if you watch, know. if you look at the, I think the reason I thought this was like more of a sci-fi horror movie too is because if you look at the poster, it looks like the poster for like a sci-fi horror movie. Yeah, um, which yeah, yeah you, you've seen the poster. It's like Donald Sutherland's face, and it's like kind of stretched out, and it looks like he's screaming, and it's like kind of <laughs> this like faded orange background. It looks like, it looks like a horror movie poster. It does. Uh, very strange. But what what are the moments or scenes that stood out to you in Threshold, Mike? Um, it's pretty hard to kind of nail down one because not a whole lot happens, even in the research <laughs> scenes where you think it'd be like none of, kinda, yeah. none of them do. Yeah, none of them do. Yeah. Like even in the like uh, research segments where they're like kind of testing out the technology and figuring it all out. Uh, like there's no like exciting Rocky montage of them like trying and failing with technologies. It's kind of just like, right. Does this work? No, let's do this instead. Oh, OK, it works. Uh, <laughs> and so the, even that doesn't really stand out. But I guess the one would, like you mentioned already uh, would be Goldblum's like entrance uh, when they're at this like medical convention and they're kind of walking the floor and looking at this technology from Japan that they use to like keep a goat alive or something. I forget exactly what's going right. on. But Goldblum's whole like shtick about like this guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. Not realizing <laughs> that Donald Sullivan's also a doctor <laughs> like that right. whole bit. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, so basically the movie, the movie opens on Donald Sutherland um, in surgery, like do, I think doing surgery on um, Henry, uh, on Henry, right. Henry uh, Michael, Michael Lerner's character. Right. And he's doing the surgery and, you know, it's kind of just this, you know, average everyday thing. We're in surgery. 
Uh, and then they go to a conference with like a bunch of kids that he saved at some point. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, and I feel like there's one kid who like has a pretty funny scene, but I forget exactly what it was. Like they kind of like pull away from him or whatever it is. Um, but so after after that sequence, um, Sutherland and a colleague go to the presentation on the artificial heart. That's when Goldblum shows up and he kind of like starts explaining the artificial heart to Donald Sutherland. Then he compares it to like the pacemaker and it's like, well, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't know if we can do the pacemaker, but now we can do the pacemaker and here we go and all the things and all <laughs> yeah. that stuff. And then he kind of re- like, eventually he realizes who Donald Sutherland is, is and he's like, oh, you're, you're the Dr. Thomas Vrain. Like that, like that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> um, so they go get drinks and Goldblum. Like there's a lot of like sequences where Goldblum has like a Goldblumy monologue and it always feels like it cuts it short. You know, like it yeah. feels like the like he'll be talking and suddenly we'll just like fade away to the next scene. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of fade outs in this movie. Uh, it's <laughs> I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison uh, to draw between the the end credits of between the lines, which just lets Goldblum do his monologue for like five right. extra minutes after the movie ends. <laughs> like it's over the credits. Yes. Um, and this movie is like, we don't have time. <laughs> we can't. We can't do this. <laughs> We, we don't have time. We fade away to the next scene, which will also be Goldblum monologuing. I uh, like probably because it seems like it's what he's doing throughout the movie. But then it'll just fade yeah. away to the next one and fade away to the next one and stuff like that. But uh, he mentions that he's been working on this heart for 12 years or something like that. And he's like close to cracking the code, but he needs some like assistance to make it happen. Uh, so basically, you know, they team up. They're like, OK, Donald Sutherland's like, well, yeah, we'll try it. We'll try it out. And he kind of sets him up with a small team to help develop the heart. I think what I liked about the movie too is it really like like, kind of explores the idea of like this is a job for donald sutherland's character yeah (laughs) you know like he's he's making like you know for the patients this is life or death and for donald sutherland's character this is just like another day at the office (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and it starts exploring that i think and i think it could have explored that more i feel like because like by the end of it it starts to like really kind of like get to him a little bit and all that stuff but i feel like there could have been more done with that concept. But in any case, he helps Goldblum develop the heart. And I, th- I think there's one scene in the movie that I thought was really great, uh, which is this uh, this motorcycle accident happens, meaning that a heart donor for Henry uh, is available. So Henry is the patient that he's working on before and they kind of talk and they say, hey, we're waiting on a donor one day. And so they kind of like like they kind of illustrate this like very callous, like like, man, can't wait for somebody to die so that I can get. <laughs> Yeah. Like put this heart into Henry's body and stuff like that. Uh, so I like that. And there's a whole surgery and stuff. And then after the surgery, you have Henry, Michael Lerner, asking uh, Donald Sutherland about the donor, wanting to know more about him, like about his life and that kind of thing. And that's the thing I was talking about before, where I was like, I mean, I wish they could have like explored that a little more, like that what the patient is going through and like knowing that somebody had to die in order for him to have the heart to live. Basically, like, yeah. I think it's a really interesting concept. And then Michael Lerner's character dies like 10 minutes later. Uh, and, so, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, well, I guess we're not dealing with that anymore. But uh, for that like few minutes, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And like, again, it was kind of like cutting to Donald Sutherland and being like, oh, what? <laughs> like, you just have his heart, not his alimony payments. What do you right. care <laughs> where, where it came from? Tip your wages. Kind of uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, what did you think of all that, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was a in- interesting moment the first time, like when it happens in the beginning, uh, when that like concept comes up, uh, you know, he checks on Henry and he's like, oh, you know, walking out with a nurse or another doctor or something like that. And he's like, yeah, we just need like one good motorcycle accident uh, and we'll be able to save him. I was like, whoa, yep. holy shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn. Uh, 
And then, um, you know, that, that kind of moment when Henry like breaks down and is asking, you know, like he starts crying and, you know, I want to know everything about him. And, and he like asks about the nurse and I don't really get that whole, there's like a beat after Henry dies where they like, they show the nurse as, as like, yeah. did you kill him? Like what? Like, I don't really get what, like, you know what I, I mean? Think, like, uh, <laughs> I think it was a thing where like, cause they had kind of played out the relationship before where he didn't like the nurse or that or something like that. Like he, yeah. Henry had complained about her in the past or like earlier or in the movie. And so I, I think that was meant to like show how affected she was by his death, even though he complained about her or that kind of, I'm not, I'm not guess. really sure. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's a strange little, little beat in the middle of this movie that kind of doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. The, so they put the donor into the donor heart into Henry and he makes it through the surgery, but then dies kind of unexpectedly uh, later right. on is kind of what we're saying. So that kind of happens and it kind of illustrates like the unreliability of the whole heart transplant process uh, and how the body can just reject like a foreign heart and that kind of thing, which is why mm. we need this artificial heart so badly. Uh, and so Dr. Vrain, Tom, Donald Sutherland, he goes to its kids musical, which is the Pirates of Penzance, which is like a fun <laughs> little diversion. This movie has. <laughs> just watch a bunch of little kids dress up as pirates on the stage. It's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everyone needs a breather for a couple of minutes. And then Carol's father uh, finds uh, Dr. Vrain in the lobby and he's sobbing and he's like, you know, talking about his daughter. And he's like, I don't know what's going to happen and that kind of thing. And he kind of explains what's going on. Now she's back in the hospital. I, I think that's interesting because it, he's a doctor who's treating it just like a job. He's at the office. He's not really thinking about it outside of work but now it's like work coming to him out like in his home life and like trying to like like it kind of like hits him harder i think than it would normally like if it was at the hospital yeah when carol confronts him outside the hospital in the beginning of the movie like after that whole thing with the kids when he's like oh look at timmy he can stand on the chair now or whatever the hell he was doing doing there (laughs) um uh and he's and he's you know she's kind of like you know do you will you be able to see me again and he kind of is like well you know we'll see what happens like there's you know nothing he he like kind of like dodges whether or not he thinks she can be saved yes uh kind of thing and then when her dad confronts him uh at the at the after the recital he's kind of like well i have no choice now uh right it's it's a pretty it's a pretty intense moment (laughs) it is a very intense moment and that's kind of when they decided all right we got to do the artificial heart it's gonna happen right so they uh they kind of meet up with carol uh donald sutherland and jeff goldblum and they explain to her about the artificial heart transplant uh they also meet enrico the monkey who's a lot of fun i really enjoyed enrico (laughs) need more enrico (laughs) yeah i think uh you know enrico's only in the one scene in the movie i think he should have been like a third lead of the film (laughs) uh like the tv show animal practice do you remember animal practice (laughs) i think i've heard of it it was a show NBC that aired after community, uh, which is uh, why like it was around the time when like NBC was like really trying to get a hit. Like they were trying to do like whatever they could to pander to an audience uh, because all of their like best shows were ones that nobody was watching. Uh, So after community was a show called animal practice, which was about like a veterinary hospital. uh, And one of the main characters was a monkey played by the monkey who played Annie's boobs on community. The uh, I was going to say was Annie's boobs on it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the same monkey. It's the same monkey from the. It's the same monkey from the Hangover too. That monkey is loaded with with cash. Incredible. Um, But it was always like a joke among community fans, and even the community cast members too have joked about it too. Where it's just like like and coming up next, animal practice. Like it it was (laughs) such a bad show, Uh, and I think you know you know it aired for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, and then I think it was like a a mid season replacement for Thirty Rock. So like when Thirty like. 30 Mm. Rock came back and all that stuff. But yeah, so uh, uh, this is a weird 
tangent that has nothing to do with the movie, but Animal Practice, not a great show. However, if there was a monkey in the third lead of this movie, I think it could have really worked. Might have helped like, out. What if, what if the monkey did the surgery, Mike? I'm just saying. Right? I think there's there's possibilities there. Um, but so they, they do the surgery, and we talked about this earlier in the podcast, the surgery sequence. This is when the movie like really picks up, I think. Um, yeah. Like, and this is like maybe like an hour into the movie. It's only like 95 minutes long. So the surgery starts and it's a very long sequence. Like it's a very, it's a very long sequence and it feels like a long sequence. And throughout it, they're like kind of constantly marking the time too. So like they'll mention mm-hmm. like, I think as soon as they pull the heart out, it's like how, how, how long has she been under? And it's like 60 minutes. Uh, and then once they put the heart in, it's like, how long is this? How, how long? It's like 98 minutes. And it's like, it's been it's like, she's had, she's been without a heart for 38 minutes, that kind of thing, which yeah. is insane. So they go through the surgery. I mean, that, that I, I really like that stuff because it was just like very process driven and very like, you know, it just very matter of fact and clinical about like, it's again, not trying to sensationalize the idea of the surgery. It's not like throw it in some kind of like big last minute thing where somebody drops the heart on the floor and they're like, Oh no, or, or whatever. Rico runs in and steals the heart and runs out. Although if the rest of the movie was just like a manhunt to find Enrico who's holding a human heart the entire time or an, or an artificial heart the entire time. I mean, that would be great if Enrico was hoarding artificial hearts like he was on a giant like throne made of artificial hearts in the middle of a room. I'm just spitballing here. Ideas for yeah. Threshold 2. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but that, I mean, that whole surgery sequence I thought was really, really well done. And I think really effectively captured the tension of that moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. Especially because um, earlier before the surgery uh donald sutherland is kind of explaining you know before the enrico before that scene i think even uh he might i think he says something along the lines like you know if we try everything else and that doesn't work like would you be willing to try something that's never been done before and she's kind of like yeah let's do it uh and i think they're doing something else before the artificial heart gets put in because i remember they're trying to do a real heart transplant aren't they yeah or some kind of surgery on the heart and he can't get it to the heart to restart uh, with the paddles. Right. Uh, and he like just gives up and he turns to Goldblum and is like, get it. And like, yes, he, they, he, ru- he like runs to go get the artificial heart. Uh, and then that's why they put it in. <laughs> it's like, right. So it is very intense because it's like a failed surgery first. Uh, and right. then they kind of save it, uh, you know, to be the first artificial heart. Exactly. So the, the procedure is a success. Uh, and she wakes up uh, like, you know, a f- like a few hours later and she wakes up and it's good and it's on the news and everything. Like it kind of cuts to gold uh, to uh, Sutherland at his house, watching it like hours later, just being like exhausted and being like, all right, it's on the news. We did it. And then Donald Sutherland sees Goldblum on TV <laughs> and right. and he's very pissed about it. Um, but Goldblum's on TV kind of talking about how great the surgery was and how effectively they can do it and how they can play God now. And like, you know, and now at this point <laughs> yeah. forward, we're putting artificial hearts in everybody. <laughs> Death is no longer the end, I think, is a direct line (laughs) from what he says. It's very it's very Dr. Frankenstein going on with uh, with Dr. Gold with (laughs) Dr. Goldblum. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Uh, Which, by the way, I think if they remade Frankenstein, Goldblum would probably kill it as a as the doctor. Uh, Absolutely. which, you know, I think in another episode, we talked about how great Goldblum would be as Dracula. They should just remake all the Universal Horror movies, but with Goldblum in all the roles. <laughs> you know, the dark universe can be rebooted with Jeff Goldblum entirely and no one else. And it could work. Yep. <laughs> It'd I'm be saying. like the Nutty Professor, where is <laughs> yes. Eddie Murphy at every every seat. 
that's what it is by Goldblum. Yep, Frankenstein with the clumps. I'm very, very yep. psyched about that. Uh, so, so Goldblum's on TV. Sutherland's mad about it. He kind of calls Goldblum, be like, "Get off of TV! What are you doing? Don't do this anymore." Um, and then that's kind of it. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, basically. You know, at that at that point, there's still like 20 minutes left in the movie, but like all that's left is like Sutherland kind of goes to this conference. He gets like a standing ovation at the presentation. Like, wow, you've done an incredible thing. And he kind of talks to Carol, who uh, doesn't feel like herself. Like she she's questioning mm. whether she's still her. And this question of she's alive. But is she alive? Like <laughs> question mark? Like, is her soul gone or something? Which, you know, that would be quite a twist if this movie went there. Again, I, I was constantly waiting for that low budget Canadian sci fi genre film. To just kick in uh, yeah. and become this like terrorizing, like robot person who is <laughs> going, going crazy. Uh, the movie doesn't do that. Which is probably for the best. But uh, she like she's kind of questioning whether she's still her and like, you know, all that stuff. And she doesn't feel like herself. Uh, and so Sutherland kind of gives her a pep talk and she's fine, basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah, I did, I did like Sutherland's line, though. There's like a really good line that Sutherland has where he says the heart in you is as good as any God ever made. And, you know, it's like Sutherland, like sells it really well. It's a very well written line. I thought that was like really solid. Like, yeah, that was that was nice. I like that. Yeah, that did stand out. I didn't remember that, but I do like. That didn't, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do remember yeah. reacting to that line when he says it. Like, Damn. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. solid, solid stuff right there. So he uh, kind of gives her the pep talk and she's okay. Uh, Goldblum goes on the radio, as we mentioned before, and uh, kind of just goes on there, badmouth surgeons for a bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, uh, I think he's like jealous of the fact that Thomas Vrain as the surgeon has gotten more of the credit for the artificial heart transplant than he did mm-hmm. for creating the artificial heart. Um, and so he's on the radio and he's talking to the guy from special delivery, like you mentioned before, which I'm so glad that you brought that up. Uh, <laughs> and so he's like, oh, surgeons, they're not creative. All they do is repetition, repetition. I, I create, I create worlds. There's worlds of experience in my mind. Death is not the end and all that stuff. You know, he's turning into a mad scientist right before. It's basically. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that yeah. was the moment for sure where I was like, oh, this is Dr. Malcolm. <laughs> He's <Yep>. just <laughs> kind of like, you know, you're playing God and whatever, all this stuff. Yeah, uh, exactly. But it, yeah. It's, it's, a, good, it's a fun worlds. little <laughs> it's a fun speech. <laughs> these uh, the, but yeah, these are the giants that, that the doctors at Jurassic Park, their shoulders that stood upon. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> these specific giants you're right these um, <laughs> uh yeah i i think that's a really fun like scene and that's basically it for goldblum though like that's like the, his last scene in the movie i think yeah I think uh, so so, so it kind of feels like incomplete a little bit it feels like you know he's like he seems pretty reasonable for most of the movie right and then suddenly after the surgery he's just like a raving madman <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just he turns the Alex the Jones of of heart surgery. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of the of the uh, medical conference world. Exactly. Yeah, it's very it's a very strange turn, and then he's just gone. Like, yeah, okay, exactly. I guess. But Goldblum sells it all really well, and he's a lot of fun to watch throughout all that stuff. Uh, and then the movie ends where it began with just uh, Donald Sutherland, Thomas Rain going back into surgery. And I, I kind of like that aspect of it, too, where it's like the movie starts with him in surgery and it ends with just him going back to another surgery, doing it again. Like it's like this. I think throughout the movie, it humanizes him a lot more and like has has him deal with the idea of like, OK, this I know this is my job and I've been treating it like it's just a job, but it is like genuinely changing people's lives in these different ways. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, when you watch it for the first time, he is like that hotshot surgeon, Dr. Strange style. Uh, yeah. And then at the end, he's that hotshot surgeon, Dr. Strange style, but with a conscience like Dr. Strange. <laughs> yeah, you're right. 
but with uh, a heart. Exactly. Although he doesn't do any magic in the movie, which is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, I, like, if that had taken, if that was the sci-fi turn, just like at the end, he like snaps his fingers and like magic happens, <laughs> and then roll credits. Like no explanation, no no acknowledgement. I'm in. You see, he turns and winks at the camera, snaps his fingers, and a portal opens up. <laughs> yeah, like, A plus. <laughs> Acknowledging a comic book character that was much less well-known then than right. it is now. Uh, that's pretty much the end of Threshold. So, Mike, well, I mean, overall thoughts, So, like, like we kind of said before, it's fine-ish, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not uh, it's not terrible. It's not it's not great. It's not super engaging where I would be like, man, like, you know, like an un, un, a forgotten gem kind of thing. Right. Uh, but it's not it's not totally worth ignoring. Like, you know, it's better than. Uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, but it's not as good as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. <laughs> I mean, it's not not even nearly as good as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, <laughs> no, few things so, are, honestly. That's true. Uh, I, I actually would say I probably preferred watching Sleepy Hollow just because that movie is funnier. Um, <laughs> OK, fair. <laughs> uh, whereas I think this is like probably a more well-made and more competent movie. But like, you know, this movie didn't have Jeff Goldblum falling into a table full of pies. So true. It could have used a pie fight. <laughs> could have used a pie fight. More movies could. Imagine if Enrico the monkey got himself into some pies. <laughs> the common <comic> possibilities. <laughs> that Enrico uh, could have had. But uh, all right. So that's Threshold from 1981 slash 83, I, I guess. Uh, and this is a movie that I think most people haven't really seen since the early 80s, but it is available on Amazon Prime if anybody wants to check it out. Uh, and as far as letterbox reviews goes, uh, there were nine total reviews uh, wow. on this movie's letterbox page, two of which were in German. Uh, so, <laughs> so seven English language reviews. I'm only going to read three of them. Uh, so here you go. Here's some letterbox reviews for Threshold. A 3.5 out of 5 from Michael Brush 93, which reads Threshold is character driven, understated sci fi medical drama. How many of those exist? It was refreshing because everyone in the film is coming from an honest place and there is no mustache twirling villain, uh, <laughs> which I agree, which I agree with, although there could have could have used a mustache twirling villain. <laughs> Yeah, in I, there. I will admit that I not knowing that the artificial heart hadn't been used or slash invented yet. I thought this was like the true quote unquote story, like a dramatization of the invention oh. of the artificial heart. Interesting. Uh, I mean, and it kind of it almost is because, I mean, like it happened a year later, basically, right. <laughs> with the with the artificial heart. Uh, here's a one star review from Markella which reads Donald Sutherland and Jeff Goldblum are science doctors who cure hearts sold. What was I sold? Crap. (laughs) Unwatchable. Even for those who see the name Sutherland and Goldblum next to each other. Don't bother. Might be okay to play on mute at a party so that people can ask, what is this? And you can say nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Harsh. I wish I felt, felt this passionately about this movie. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's what it kind of feels like. We're just like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of on the boring side. Uh, here's a, my last one. It's a four star review from The Poetic Critic, uh, which is written as a poem, by the way. Nice. <laughs> uh, hard sci fi just before it became fact. A saga of an artificial heart who makes who implants takes it told with tact. A quiet film, quite sensitive and smart. Oh, and I thought that was just like a lovely little poem that the poetic critic. That's very pleasant. <laughs> out there. I think the poetic critic would probably be better off 
working on these poems from movies that people have seen so that they could see the reviews that they're <laughs> that they're writing. <laughs> They got a workshop somewhere, you know, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, but all right. So, yeah, that's uh, that's Threshold from 1981. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, and you can find me online at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thank you for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrecio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at JeffGoldblumComplete.Works at gmail.com. And you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the Review Zoo, a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter at GoldblumPod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, you can join us next week at the complete works where Goldblum returns to television to take part in a murder. Most foul a whodunit with 1982's rehearsal for murder, uh, which uh, I read the description of the other day and I'm actually pretty excited to uh, check this one out. You, you and I both love a good whodunit. Uh, so this is yes. going to be a ton of fun. Uh, and we've been putting out those Mike and Mike bonus episodes every week too. So check those out when you get a chance. Thanks so much for listening guys. And remember to go for the gold bloom. <laughs>